Thanks for joining us on Leading Beyond the Code by Cadre Connect. This is the podcast where we go beyond the surface of technology and explore the transformative power of leadership through interviews with industry leaders. Hosted by me, Ben Malloy. Today I'm joined by Matthias Heiker. Uh, Matthias is CTO and co-founder of Sweep. Now, it's great to have you on the show today, Matthias. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, you're the first guest on this brand new podcast, so um, I'm incredibly excited. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I mean, I think a really nice place to start would be just a little bit about Sweep for the, uh, just a bit bit of background on Sweep, what exactly it is for the listeners, bit of context, that would be great. Sure. So uh, Sweep is a software as a service company and we allow our clients to um, run impactful events without the busy work. So we're basically taking care of the whole guest invitation and um, um, yeah, management process. Just like as a simple example, you're having an event, you want to invite some people and you want to hear back from them. You want to collect like information. I don't know, like what's their diet? Like are they vegetarian? Are they vegan? Uh, do they eat pork? And uh, so you can basically upload your guest list or do an open registration page. You invite those people. Uh, they can reply, they can say, I come, I don't come, they get a ticket and either they go like with a ticket and can check in on the event and you get the information who was there, or you can add like a virtual event platform and, uh, yeah, can feed back the information from the virtual event platform into our system. Yeah. And we're fully white label solution. So our base model is that if I don't know, for example, the Chamber of Commerce Berlin invites their people. It doesn't look like, I don't know, like uh, Sweep invites them, but it looks like the Chamber of Commerce invites them. Or if Mercedes invites ah, people, right. it looks like Mercedes invites people. So fully white labeled. Amazing. I mean, what was the catalyst to start this? It, did you experience kind of, you know, event planning in the past and you've experienced pains and struggles in there? Or what was your kind of background and what you kind of got you here? Well, I see uh, the the word uh, which I should use is serendipity. Right. So um, it was like things were coming together uh, piece by piece. We we were living in Berlin, and um, three co-founders. Um, we were working in an in a mobile agency together, and we thought like, hey, uh, we we can do this like way better. Let's let's found our own uh, uh, our own startup and. Uh, uh, foreshadowing, uh, we didn't do it better. <laughs> exactly the same <laughs> mistakes. But then, then the question was like, what to do, what to do. And uh, one of my co-founders, he was standing in like so. Uh, I'm, I'm from Berlin, so it was a lot of clubs around here, and he was standing like in a in a, in a row, and and uh, people were checking the guest list, and they were basically having handwritten guest lists there, and it took ages. And so I was like, hey, there's there's, yeah. there's supposed to be yeah. better ways to to solve this, and so. Our first first company we we founded was basically doing guest management for for clubs and and party party places, and that was an absolute mess. Yeah. Like, don't don't do this. It's, uh, uh, it's fun to go there. It's <laughs> really not fun to do business with. Yeah. And then we figured out like some some of our clients were like not only having an uh, owning like a club, but also doing like real normal. Normal events, and uh, it was fun to work with yeah. them. And so we we pivoted and and founded uh, uh, the successor company, which is now Sweep. Uh, that's how we got here. So piece by piece, there are like much more like little steps in between. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's the overall story. Yeah, it started. Yeah, in a nutshell, that's very nicely tied up. 
Uh, it's really interesting. I mean, there's so many questions that I, I, I want to ask you, to be honest. Uh, but I think a really nice thing to talk about would be what it's like at, in a startup. I mean, this was a proper startup. Mm -hmm. You hear lots of stories, you know. You know what the stories are. You know, you have a startup. It starts in, you know, your parent, your, your bedroom <laughs> or in a garage or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, all yeah. kind of pizza boxes and okay. late nights. What's, yeah. What was it? What's the reality of a startup? Let's the, the reality is that you are full of energy. You have exactly like you have. I, I, I used to live in a shared apartment at the time in Berlin, like this rundown shared apartment where there was a party every weekend. And you have like a lot of energy and you have a lot of creative ideas. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah you know what? We, we need a name for the company. And then you discuss like for three weeks about the name of the company. And then you're like, okay, great, we have one. So now we can oh no, wait, wait, we have to register it with the government. Okay, let's let's do this. And you go to the government and you say, they say, oh yeah, you need like a founder's contract. And we're like, oh yeah, we haven't thought about it. Yeah, okay, let's, so I guess we need an attorney. And someone is like, hey, my, my cousin is an attorney. And you're like, okay, cool. And then you you sit with this like really high-level attorney because the cousin is a high-level attorney. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, guys, it's not that easy. And we have to think about it. And after three hours, like your whole energy is completely drained. And you were like, so what was the yeah. original idea? So you start with a lot of energy <laughs> and then the whole bureaucracy and the whole paperwork comes in and you have to get through this part. Uh, and then it's fun again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of um, with startups. That's kind of a shame that there's so much kind of paperwork involved in startups because you want it to just be like fast. You want the wheels to be kind of nearly falling off at stages, you know, but tying together, yeah. I guess. But then, then on the other hand, um, I know startups uh, which were founded like them, and if they fail, everything is great. Like they haven't invested all the time. But if they got yeah. successful, it can really. Uh, in German, we say uh, fall on their seat. So it, it really can be a pain in the ass later on if you haven't done, uh, I don't know, for example, your founder's contract well in the beginning. Because it, it might happen that you disagree at a certain level of time. And that normally doesn't happen like in the first year, but it happens in year, year five or year six. And if you haven't done like your stuff correctly in the beginning, you probably never will do as long as things are going well. But if they don't go well anymore... Yeah it's really helpful if you have talked about that kind of things before. Luckily, it has gone well for us, so we, we haven't needed our contracts yet, but I have seen many companies who didn't do that kind of things before in those kind of talks. So those foundations are absolutely crucial. I mean, things happen quickly at a, when a startup, but it's, it must be so important to have those foundations in place and treat it like as if, you know, it's going to be successful, basically. And imagine the future of this is going to be this in yeah. five years time kind of thing. yeah rather than let's just take a punt and see what happens exactly i mean on the other end definitely like yeah. we 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 were much slower by overthinking a lot of stuff like in, in a certain thing you you also have to be lean and you have to let's try this let's fail let's like all those failure culture absolutely yeah. right uh, most of the ways but i would say yeah. like the most example the founding contract that's something you should put in those two, three weeks and those discussions to be clear what's the foundation where you start. But then then you also like, there are certain things where you can say like, okay, we, we do this later. I find tech startups so interesting because it's a really, it's a really fascinating part because a tech startup founders, you know, typically have an idea mm -hmm. and they build it. Mm -hmm. 
uh, maybe on their own or with a couple of people. And then if that business or if that idea becomes successful, then you have to do something, do things that you've never done mm-hmm. before, like hiring mm-hmm. people, you know, scaling mm-hmm. a business. You have to essentially, you're put into a bracket mm-hmm. of being a leader um, mm-hmm. at some point. And all of the, and management, <laughs> and there's so much stuff surrounding it, coming from one tech idea, which, yeah. you know, you've coded yeah. and built, and then you have to become all of these multifaceted things. So how do you deal with that? How do you learn about those things? I mean, that's that's a, yeah. a good question. I mean, I'm I'm a person who's quite easily bored. That's something I figured out yeah. about myself. So in the companies before, I have never lasted more than two years because then I had the feeling, okay, I've learned kind of everything in this position. There's no real good perspective for me here. That was based on the companies. But uh, so I, I really, you know, I, I change quickly. And now I'm, I mean, if we take in this company on the before, uh, it's now 11 years in that founder team for us. So quite a long time. And how haven't I gotten bored in that time is because, as you said, I always had to reinvent myself. I had to, every time, like it, a company where I sit around the table with like three people, uh, okay, let's, let's easily step one, a company where you meet in someone's, uh, uh, like sleeping room because you only have one room in your state apartment. Yeah. It's completely different to a company where you kind of own one sub rented room and shared office. And then you sit around with three people and then you hire your first two people and it changes again because you have to yeah. learn to give away stuff you care about. And then you hire a couple of more people and it changes again because you you stop being like, uh, in my case, software developer and you start to become a manager and you have to think about like, yeah. what kind of culture do I want to create in this company? And so every year, like new stuff comes along and... um how do you how do you learn about that stuff? I think that's that's very different. Um, my my co-founder uh, um, one is, is reading a lot, the other one loves uh, his podcasts. Um, and that kind of stuff. So I personally love to just talk to other people. So I met with like a yeah. lot of different friends of mine who have founded their companies who were at like either uh, a little bit further away or at the same stage, and I just talked to them. How do you do this? Um, and then that's the way I, I went. And uh, yeah, sure, like. Those, those blog articles, those podcasts, uh, they're quite crucial as well. So you, you always have to learn, but you also have to try and, and fail. Definitely. And I think, you know, like you mentioned, learning from people, mm-hmm. I think is a really important part of, of growth and development. And especially, you know, if you're kind of in a new business or you're, you're building something new and exciting, I think learning from people and people who have done similar things in the past. I think what I love about the tech industry as a whole is that it's such a kind of knowledge-sharing, open uh, industry. It's not like closed yeah. off and, you know, it's it's so open. I think yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Nobody, nobody is like, uh, I, I don't share this piece of information with you to not yeah. give you an advantage because then you might take away some, I don't know, clients or investors from me. No, people are really open to share all of their stories, like the good and the bad ones. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's a really nice culture. Yeah. And it kind of like, you know, I've done hundreds of podcast episodes with technologists and every single person that I've had on the podcast has just been totally open about the failures and their experiences yeah. and yeah willing to kind of share everything for the for the sole purpose of just helping the community really 
And I think that really, really drives it. And I think yeah. if we didn't have that culture, that kind of international <laughs> sharing culture, uh, it would be it would be definitely something different. Yeah, and and I mean like. I think there's still like a little difference between like traditional tech companies and this new kind of startup world. Um, and then I, I recently had a job interview with with a new developer, and we were talking. And in the end, like after after uh, one hour, he was like, "Okay, when does this job interview start?" And I was like, like that, that that was yeah. it. Yeah, hired. <laughs> but we just we just talked, and I was like, "Yeah, exactly." Oh, it's mad. It's really important. Those um, I was going to talk about those first hires because you know they are crucial for a startup. Yeah, and as we all know, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's really difficult to find good people these days. How do you find those people, and how do you get them to stay? That's another crucial aspect because mm -hmm. I could rabbit on about this for ages. You know how quickly people jump around. Yeah, yeah, def definitely. I can I can even do like one step further and 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 start with like whom do you do your first yeah things with so you you normally start with some freelancers for example you you need a design for your application for your for your app yep. or anything and and you start like and you say like okay we we can't do this like I can draw but it doesn't look good so uh, let's let's get someone to do this and you look for freelancers and you don't have a lot of money so you look for some friends who are doing you like you they they make you a special prize and, <laughs> yeah you're like oh and like what yeah. do and let's do this together and everybody's excited and, and then after like three weeks you ask them like so when is my design coming around there like, sorry sorry i'm an important contract yeah, yeah. first and that's a contract where someone is paying them real money yeah and so it, it already starts with those freelancers the first lesson to me is if you want to be efficient and if you want to save money and if you do it with your friends pay them what yeah. you normally get totally totally agree because otherwise otherwise it's it's your always lowest point on the priority list 100 percent. so that was that was definitely like the first the first learning then when it comes to to like the first hires i have to say we didn't planted yeah like that was one of the learning things we also did in the beginning it was more that we met someone somewhere and we said hey there's a good energy we like you you like me oh you're just you're doing sales oh that's great let's let's move mm. this together and um i think for the first hires that's yeah. absolutely fine like i think uh it's it's so important to have like a good connection with those people how did we keep them we didn't Right. I mean, so uh, it's uh, that was like the the second lesson that you also have to let go of people at mm -hmm. certain points. Um, they might get a better offer because you're still not able to pay those big bucks, or uh, you might find out that you don't work on the same level that this connectivity did work on the event. But mm -hmm. uh, a long time, you have different goals, and and so there are certain times where you. As a, as a person like me who always likes to be friends yep. with everyone, it's really hard to say like, okay, you know what? That's now a time we have to take mm. a different path. Uh, that, that was really yeah. hard, but, um, but it works. And then, yeah, you, you really have to think about, so, okay, I, I only can tell you where, where we really fail. I can't really say why we got those great people mm. we have now. <laughs> and they, like we have an amazing team now and I couldn't tell you like one single good, good tip how to get them. I think another one was that we that we uh, were looking for example a customer success person and, and we interviewed someone and we said this is not a good customer success person but this would be a great uh, SDR person 
So even if we don't really need an SDR, let's carry that to this position. And that also kind of fails. Really? Interesting. So really don't, yeah, really don't hire people for positions you really are looking for. Even if you like those people in person, I mean, you can still say we keep in contact and maybe we need an SDR in like four months or, or 12 months. I don't know, but, um, uh, yeah, sit down, think which resource you really need. Think about what this resource should bring. Like what are the requirements to those resources? Really do this before and then go in the search process and don't just hire people less than drive because you, you like them or you enjoy talking to them. Yeah, interesting. You know, just purely from what you've been what we've been talking about on this on this episode is that you know it really does take a specific kind of person to be able to be like be a startup founder or co-founder or CTO because you know I've been as we've been talking I've been kind of putting myself in your shoes and imagining what that's like and it's mm-hmm. that I wouldn't be able to deal with the the you know one day you know how different everything is how much you have to learn about things so quickly and and the failures and then you know everything like that i mean so do you think it takes a certain type of person to be to be in a startup uh i think it needs a lot of different persons to be in a startup yeah sure it needs some sort of mindset you you have to be a person who loves to create stuff and it doesn't really have to matter to you what kind of thing you create like because mm. you only create like if you like to create one single thing very much then you might be the right person for someone else but uh, i i personally like i always loved to create things like and it can be it can be a piece of software it can be a company it can be some sort of woodwork yeah uh it can be like creating an event so i i organized parties when i was younger mm. um it's it's this drive to like create something new and i think if you have that kind of drive it doesn't really matter if you have to do like that piece of work or if you have to organize who's cleaning the dishwashing the, the dishwasher in the kitchen uh, that's, mm. that's also like hard in the in the startup world where you have to like find someone doing this but if you like to create new things and then put this energy in um then I think it doesn't really matter what the phenotype is because mm. it all contributes to this creation process. Yeah, absolutely. If you could rewind time to, mm. yeah, if you could rewind time to the start of this venture, is there anything that you'd do differently if you had the chance to do that again? Definitely. As much as I, I love my co-founders, they're like great people and I think like being with them for 11 years and not getting into like a huge fight is, is like the best uh, source of that. But um, I would I would definitely get someone in who has done it before. Right. The moment we had our first two business angels, uh, Theo and Hannes, God bless them, um, uh, it was way easier because we had someone who had done it before and we could go to and we're like, how, how can we do this and this? And they oh, like, you could do it like this. Like, you don't have to. You make the decisions, but you could do it. Like, we did it like this. Or you go, we have this huge problem. Like, blah, blah. And they're like, not really. <laughs> like, just just make a decision. It will go away. <laughs> and, and that kind of first year in the startup, I think, is really worth worth something. So we were all yeah. first-time founders. Yeah, amazing. I mean, going forward now, so we mentioned culture earlier. Mm-hmm. 
And I kind of want, you know, there's, there's a, did you say there's 11 people in your business? No, you've been going for 11 years. How many is it? 20 something people in the business now? Uh, 20, 24, I think. 24 now. people in the business. So yeah. is the culture that you kind of decided early on in the days, is that, does that still stick now? And what is the culture actually? Um, that's, that's a good, like we, I think we were, we were like, creating principles or values for the company. Like we had the process of doing like this the right way yeah. three or four times and none of them really stick. I think it's, it's really deep in the, in the heart of the founders. Um, what are the values? And it's, it's kind of hard to put those in words, to be honest. We have, we have the feeling we got it, we got it back that we really like by talking to, to your, to your uh, to your coworkers and by by talking to your clients and by just like interacting, you can you can share those values. So, for example, one thing for us which was very important was uh, transparency. Yeah, yeah. Which doesn't mean that we have to share every single detail, but it's important that that your employees know where the company is staying. Like we we openly share business numbers once a month with everyone. We answer every single question, and uh, that's kind of like. It's the same with everybody else. Like people don't have a problem with sharing stuff with us. Like they say, like, oh, I fucked up here or I did this or I did that. And then that kind of culture was, was very uh, important. Mm. Absolutely. I've, uh, yeah, it, that's a really important message, actually. Full transparency. I mean, because I know people that work in tech businesses, um, uh, are close friends of mine, and, you know, they've spoken about this exact thing um, and the business mm -hmm. that they work at openly shared you know all the all the figures and facts for you know monthly yeah. like you like you like yourself and you know one month they just stopped doing it and the next mm -hmm. month they didn't do it again and let me tell you honestly mm -hmm. my friends um it really i'm trying not to swear here he really uh yeah, found it stressful. Let's just say. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think even when the company isn't doing great, I still think it's a very yeah. important, very very important to maintain transparency. You have to stick with that. You can't just do that when the business is doing good. It has to be absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, there are like one or two details you probably don't blurt out the moment you cut it. Like if you, yeah. if you see okay well we don't get this contract and we now have to think about how to how to uh make that extra money to make it like in in three months or something like this mm -hmm. you you don't need to blurt this out that moment you you probably sit down in the sound team uh, uh and think about like crunch the numbers and be like okay uh we can we can make it this way and we have to probably uh, uh cut the marketing budget and you have to make a plan but then be transparent with this plan again like don't just cut the marketing uh, money but be like okay those are the numbers so my my uh co founder Florent did this brilliantly one time uh, where we really were in a ditch and it was like okay look at that red line and see how it goes below zero in september that's not good. <laughs> we crunch the numbers. Those are the plan we have. And look at yeah. the black number. And it still goes very close to <laughs> But it, it doesn't really go below. And, we, and, and yeah. those are the points we have to take for this. And the whole team was on board. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. I really want to talk about uh, scaling a business. So obviously when you're a startup, in the very beginning, it is just you know, mm -hmm. you and your co-founders. 
Mm-hmm. Now there's 24 people in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How do you maintain that? How do you maintain like the hiring process with the at the right kind of speed and balance of the growth of the business? Because that's got to be a challenge. You know, how can you predict, Absolutely. you know, six months time we'll need, or a year's time we'll need X more people? Uh, you, you, you can't. So one, one thing we have is we have very good, very good numbers. So, uh, Florian has an Excel sheet. Uh, he's, he's sometimes I think, why isn't he writing our back in an Excel? Because he's so good in it. <laughs> and, and he crunches the numbers. So it's really sophisticated and a lot of different factors go in and he's really like, okay, if we make that amount of money in this month and that month, and we have that kind of leads coming in, then we have to hire like a new sales people person here. Mm-hmm. And he needs to close that many contracts with that many contracts, uh, being churning in between. And, uh, so we can pay this person and we also have to think about, okay, he needs a notebook and a desk and this, and he needs to travel. And so. He, he factors in all those numbers and, and has like a really sophisticated way how to say when we hire what. So mm-hmm. having someone like this, so important, um, but then comes Corona or then uh, yeah. an idiot invades Ukraine. Yeah. Um, so you, you have to do this. You have to have those plans. Mm-hmm. But then again, you also have to always challenge them every single yeah. day. Um, and that's, that's kind of the way how to, how to do it. And we, uh, we hired a four person marketing team and we figured out a couple of months later um, that we actually don't really need them with a changed market situation. And mm. we were uh, kind of lucky that, um, they already like had different opportunities and they said, okay, I, I really want to like need a team and I don't see the growth here. So mm-hmm. I, is it okay if I leave? And we're like, oh, no, I'm, Hard, hard to let you go, but uh, uh, that's the thing we have to do right now. And so, yeah, yeah I think you you always have to challenge your decisions. In between. Absolutely. I mean, Matthias, you've shared some unbelievable advice in this podcast. Really, um, there's a few more. There's a few more points that I want to uh, talk about. I, I want to talk about the future of the business first. Um, so, what's mm-hmm. coming up for Sweep? If you can share any of that, obviously. If it's confidential. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, don't. So, bless no, no, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> fine. Like, I can't, I can't really go in, in, in the detail because Sweep is kind of on turning point in that, in that scenario. Like, as I, as I said, like, yeah, also always have to challenge your decision and you always have to challenge your, uh, your, your product and your market. We focus on our clients, but we also don't want to trade in the future. So mm. we, we always think like, what's the next big thing in, in event industry, event tech. And it's not, it's not like, uh, Hey, it's AI. Yay. That's like a tool, right? You have to think about like, what, what we want to solve. Like what's the pain of people. So, uh, I think a huge pain is, uh, that, that the world of events has, has drastically changed like the value of events has changed mm-hmm. and, uh, the value of events for marketing has changed mm-hmm. um, email marketing is kind of dead or cold calls are kind of absolutely dead. um events is kind of what works in my opinion mm-hmm. especially after corona um if people go to an event now like if they don't say like okay i do this virtual but i go there in person uh they are they are there 
it's all over the mind and, and you have the yeah. opportunity to to reach your your client your customer on this event so that kind of value has greatly been increased and i think it needs to be can take account of so mm-hmm. uh, i think one of the next great challenges is to to bring this value back into your numbers mm-hmm. um so most events currently uh, currently are are uh, evaluated by Oh, it was a good event. You know, Peter was there. I saw him. He, he seemed happy. So I guess it was a good event, right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, I mean, measuring the return of invest of of events that would be the holy grail in, in, in that kind of scenario, or um, like uh, supporting uh, marketing and sales handover in a way. That that is that is like those are really interesting topics. We we couldn't really like dip our feet in, and we do some research about. If that's a few jokes, I I really can't tell. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see. Um, also, there's a point here which yeah. is which I can't believe that I've not mentioned on this on this podcast yet. Mm-hmm. You know, the the business was founded started 11 years ago. Obviously, you know, I, I don't really enjoy talking about coronavirus, but with events planning and mm-hmm. this is such a huge. So you must have been in full swing with the business, and then coronavirus <laughs> happened. And what the hell did you? Because that is so unforeseen. You cannot plan. You cannot plan for that. No, no. So what? What did you kind of? How did you? How did you pivot and um, deal with that? That must have been horrible. It was. Yeah. Um. It was. It was a really, really fascinating uh, uh, experience, in my opinion. Yeah, I think horrible was the wrong word for me to use. Yeah. No. It's. It's. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, that's. Most most people are like say like this was horrible for you, but yeah. uh, I mean it was horrible for a lot of people. Uh, uh, honestly, like I saw my my neighbors with like three kids in their two room apartment. No, was definitely not horrible for them. I saw uh, other companies who really you know like who did event business like event agencies who their their only sole thing was like on person on premise events, and they they had revenue drops of ninety five percent. So those were. We were like the the lucky of the unlucky ones because we we don't do events. We invite to events, and um, what what changed was uh, we we stopped inviting to in person events, but we started to invite to virtual events. Yeah. So, and second piece is that from the beginning we were focusing on ARR and mm-hmm. recurring revenue, so we only sell license. So. Uh, our bigger clients, they couldn't just say like, okay, we stopped doing events this month, so we don't pay you this month. But they had their contracts. I mean, we had smaller agencies who were like, we don't make any yeah. money, we can't pay you. And we're like, okay, it's fine. Like, keep using software for whatever you want. Uh, pause the the payments. We will we will then keep on going with it when when you recover. Um, but like the larger ones, they just kept paying us. We didn't do any new business yeah. because people were so busy figuring out what to do like they were so busy in switching from in person to to uh, virtual that they didn't really have time to look for like new software for anything they were like oh or can we use zoom or or oh there's that like popping okay and then it's like but they didn't care about the invitation process so we that was that was the challenge that we had to that we were basically not doing a lot of new new business we still grow grew 80 percent, i think but uh not as much as we hope. Wow, that's really impressive. Okay, now I'm great. <laughs> um, yeah, but but honestly, um, it was also I, I I can't take the blessings, the credit for it. Thank you. I can't take the credit for it. It was definitely uh, uh, Lauren and our business angel Theo who early on looked in, in the numbers and who 
already said, like, in, in, I can remember in February, they said, like, oh, there's this thing in China. And I, yeah. I don't have a good feeling about this. This could change everything. And then even before Corona arrived in Europe, our investors were calling us and said, like, hey, there's this thing well, in China. I have thought about this. And so we were, we were early on very aware that that thing is not, uh, like, the bird flu. That this is different. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I mean, there's no one better for me to speak to and ask these questions, you know, as a CTO and co-founder. So I think maybe to wrap up, let's just imagine that there's, which um, there might well be, there might be uh, someone who's, I mean, I imagine there'll be tech professionals listening to this. So let's wrap up with a question for them. So if you were, quite a specific question, I guess, if you were thinking about (laughs) (laughs) how specific can I go? If you were thinking of, if you've got an idea and you want to build a startup, what is the most important thing to consider in the early stages? I think it's very important to talk to each other. Like everyone has ideas in their head. Everyone has, has ideas how to do things, how to how to how to build things, and always keep on updating you. Later on, find a framework, how to define goals, how to like, don't talk about what you want to do, talk about what you want to reach. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in a way that was one of the, like one of the other failures we did, we, we, when we had the first employees, like it did work with the three of us because we, we were actually knowing what we wanted to, to do. We talked about this a lot, so we knew about it, but when we had our societies, we, we did not really do this and we let them, we wanted to give them all the freedom, a lot of transparency, all the freedom. That's how we wanted to build it. And, and we were that they didn't do what we wanted to do then. And, and mm. what was our solution? We micromanaged them and everybody was miserable. Yeah. And yeah, then we figured out, Hey, wait a second. We completely forgot to talk about with them. So we, we started to talk about with them what they should do. Um, but that wasn't the solution. We needed to talk to them what we wanted. Mm-hmm. So we early on, even if we were a small company, we played around with frameworks like OKRs and other goal-driven approaches. And that absolutely helped, like talk to people about what you want to reach, what is the goal, what everybody should focus on, what you should measure every single task yep. you do against. Like, does this pay into that goal? No, it doesn't. Mm. I can still do it, but it's not as important as this other task it pays into it. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think, I mean, I could, I could talk about this absolutely all day, Matthias. Um, but I, there's, there's one point, you know, I've just got one more point here. Yeah. It's, you know, I've spoken to a lot of startup founders and, you know, in the early stages, there's that North star that you focus on. And, you know, sometimes that North star changes, um, Mm -hmm. or the way you get there definitely changes. Mm -hmm. Has the North Star for you your that idea, but has it changed at all on your journey? I mean, our our business has changed completely from <laughs> okay. going for clubs to the studio. That's true. Uh, I I think I think uh, it's it's really hard to talk about like my person. I think like there are like those those um, medium North Stars for the company. They have changed a lot. Yes. My kind, my personal North Star is what we started with that I like to create things, things um, with other people that I like to, to grow things that I like to, you know, create cool stuff with people, yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah. And, and that's my personal private North Star. And I think it's also very helpful for everyone to think about like, what's, what's your North Star? What's your reason of life? Why are you on this 
little blue marble yeah. in this infinite universe. And that, yeah. that's, that's very helpful. Well, and that one hasn't changed. Well, this has been so inspiring, like genuinely so inspiring. Um, I think, you know, this sounds fantastic. You're, Thank you. The motive, everything, the way you work, everything sounds brilliant. Um, so look, like I mentioned earlier, I could literally sit here all morning <laughs> and just drink coffee and chat all day. So thanks so much for taking the time to do this, Matthias. I've really, really enjoyed it. And we really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Absolute pleasure. And that wraps up another episode of Leading Beyond the Code. We hope you've enjoyed today's discussion and gained valuable insights into the world of leadership in technology. Your support means the world to us, so please make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a nice review. Together, we can expand our reach and make a positive impact on the tech community. Until next time, keep pushing boundaries, embracing innovation, and leading beyond the code.